are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This week's episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Everglades Angling and Eco Tours. Everglades Angling specializes in backcountry kayak fishing trips in Florida's Everglades, but also offers friendly kayak tours in Miami. Jim Desias, the founder of Everglades Angling and Eco Tours, has been guiding in South Florida since 2003. Jim will guide you as you paddle your way through mangrove tunnels that open into hidden lakes with rolling tarpon and eager snook. Cast your line and hang on as your flower lure is attacked by aggressive snook or tarpon. This is close quarters fishing where you can often see your offering get eaten, often followed by the hooked fish going airborne. Closer to Miami, Everglades Angling offers kayak trips for peacock bass. Peacock bass attract anglers from all over the world because of their aggression and fighting ability. In the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area, Jim offers three-hour kayak tours that are great for the entire family. He calls these his unplugged tours, and they have become popular with folks wanting to connect with their kids or spouse in an outdoor, distraction-free setting. Although close to the Miami skyline, you'll feel as if you're in a remote location with incredible bird life, manatees, and the occasional dolphin sighting. For more information, visit www.evergladesangling.org and follow Jim on Facebook and Instagram at Everglades Angling and on his YouTube channel, Jim Dusias. Now on to the show. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Angel, and I'm joined tonight by my good friend, Nick View, and we're also joined by Mr. Mike Prairie. Mike is a professional fly fishing guide, a commercial fly tire. For the past 25 years, he's owned and operated Mike's Steelhead Salmon and Brown Trout Guide Service out of Buffalo, New York. And Mike was um, introduced to Nick and I through a, a former guest, which I'm sure we'll get into some discussions about him in this conversation as well, uh, Jim Desias. So uh, we, after talking to Jim, we just figured we had to get you on the show, Mike. So welcome to the show, Mike. How's it going? Great. It's going good. Going good. Waiting for the snow. You got about a foot of snow coming on uh, Saturday. They're still calling for it Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be a foot, hopefully. <laughs> well, you, you can keep That's what we're used to it, though. Yeah, keep it up there. I don't want it. <laughs> it we actually, I was recording uh, uh, about ice fishing recently with a gentleman, and uh, we were talking about that, and, you know, he was talking about getting out and driving on the ice, and and fishing on the ice and playing football on the ice. And I told him, I said, you know, we get we get a, a, a half inch of snow and it just shuts everything down in Atlanta. So uh, you guys you guys got it going on yeah, when it the, comes to the ice the ice situation. But you can keep it. <laughs> well, sometimes it gets to you guys, but it doesn't stay around. So this this is going to stay around. We uh, we've had a pretty uh, mild winter thus far. Um, I, I actually just finished guiding last week, so I, I got a little extra time in with the guys, and now Mother Nature's calling. So, you know, it's been very mild here in the South too. I mean, milder than normal. Uh, our our uh, deer season wrapped up this past weekend, and I was kind of squaring away a, a bit of my gear this week, and it hit me. I never put on a pair of insulated boots the entire deer season and i can't remember a time i've ever done that yep i mean it's obvious that the climate's changing at least up here i mean the 
the runs as far as steelhead go, and I mean, salmon are a little more consistent, but the steelhead, uh, you know, they're just coming in later and later every year now. So we had uh, our real significant runs of fish actually came in kind of mid-November and then all the way through the month of December because Lake Erie and Lake Ontario are wide open. Lake Erie, you know, will freeze solid, not solid, but I mean it'll freeze completely and Lake Ontario just gets a bunch of ice flow around it. But, you know, if there's no ice, the fish just keep coming in every time we get a shot of water and we've had a lot of a lot of rain, ton of rain all through the fall. Started in mid October. I think everybody on the East Coast has had that. Just a ton of rain. Yeah, it's different. The weather patterns are different, or they they seem to be changing. I mean, you know, Trump wouldn't agree with it, but uh, you know, I think everybody in the Northeast would agree with it. Yeah, it feels <laughs> that way here in Michigan too. I mean, we uh, we've had a real. I mean, yeah, winters are. It feels like everything's a month off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, like we we've had a lot of real green, muddy, rainy, then freeze, then rain, then freeze, slushy winters. It's uh, and then it'll like feels like it picks up in like February for the last like rattle into March, and then we're miserable a little bit more than it melts. <laughs> yeah, La- last year, uh, um, it it. Uh our winter was basically March and April. We had like the coldest April, I think, in recorded history in Western New York. And, uh, you know, it affected the fishing. I mean, you know, the runs weren't strong in numbers, but, but they were spread out as well. And then we had a lot of spawning actually that went on early on, you know, because it got so warm, it stayed warm all the way through the you know, the main part of our winter and then got cold. So it's just kind of, you know, when you work in the outdoors, you just got to kind of mother nature pretty much wins every time. Roll with the punches. <laughs> yeah. Hands down, she wins. So, Mike, I guess for the mm-hmm. for the benefit of our, our listeners, and, and then I'm sure, you know, this is going to lead down some rabbit trails and so forth. But, yeah, sure. you know, give uh, give Nick and I and all our, our listeners a, a, a little background on yourself, you know. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I grew up uh, St. Lawrence Valley, Adirondack region of northern New York, actually right up on the Quebec border. and um you know i started fishing and hunting and trapping and you know all that stuff camping and all that stuff when i was pretty young you know it was a small town area uh population up there's you know not very big i think there's maybe twenty five thousand people in franklin county where i was from and so we had a, a river going through uh through my town and, uh, you know, like everybody, uh, you know, every other kid, I mean, we went down and we fished for pretty much all the difference between what we had up there and what's down here, lake run stuff is we had St. Lawrence river run, uh, fish, perch, bass, walleye, pike. Uh, we had big, huge, they were redfin mullets, you know, that are kind of like a sucker. We had those and that's where I got my start fishing. Um, you know, just off bridges and marinas and, you know, at the dam, you know, your mother chasing you out of the, the, (laughs) out of the turbine overflows, you know, in fear of, you know, you're not going to be coming home, you know, or coming and getting you at midnight because, you know, you just stayed and fished, 
Right. So I, I grew up up there. I started my, uh, you know, fishing, like I said, at a young age. And uh, uh, the Adirondacks were to our, basically to our south. So that's how far up in New York State we were. Um, so they were to our south and about seven miles from my hometown was the beginning of the trout water. And then that led into the foothills of the Adirondacks and then into the Adirondacks. So, um, you know, different kids had, you know, their parents had cottages and camps up there and, you know, I would go up and we would end up, you know, carousing around on some of the brook trout streams and, uh, ponds and all that stuff, you know, just wandering around like kids do. Sure. And uh, so, I mean, I started fishing for brook trout. The fly fishing end of it um, started kind of into my teens. Um, I had seen guys fly fishing on the Osable River, which is up in, in the Adirondacks, not the Osable in, uh, Mich- Osable in Michigan. But uh, it's a, you know, it's a big mountain freestone river. And uh, we were going up. You know, I think it was probably one weekend and I saw some guys fishing and, you know, they're waving these uh, sticks around in the air and I couldn't figure out what it was. And my father told me it was fly, you know, they were fly fishermen. And, you know, I kind of watched intently and it just, I guess it just planted the seed because, you know, when I got into my teens, I, you know, went and got a cheap, you know, Martin rod and reel package and set out in the yard to you know figure out how to make this thing work so i did that and then uh you know we did some you know trout fishing here and there up in the adirondacks i mean the brook trout were pretty easy you know it it's an area where there's not uh, an abundance of people ever and there there were a lot of nooks and crannies you know as far as hideaway uh beaver dammed ponds that you know, nobody really knew about because they just look like a ditch on the, you know, topographical maps. So we ended up, you know, going there and I mean, brook trout are pretty easy, so it wasn't too hard to, to catch them on, you know, a Kmart flies or, you know, flies in a, in a, you know, the local hardware store would sell flies and stuff and we'd go in and just pick through them and, and that was it. So then I moved down to Watertown, New York, uh, latter teens, early 20s. And, you know, there the availability of fishing for uh, for salmon and steelhead and uh, brown trout, uh, lake run fish was, you know, the thing to do. So we had the Black River in Watertown and we had the Salmon River in the Sandies down in Pulaski, which were, you know, about... I don't know, probably 45 minutes from where I lived in Watertown. And that was my first exposure to the, uh, you know, the salmon scene. And it was right at the end of the snagging era um, when nobody thought that, you know, any of these these andronomous fish would, uh, you know, take a fly. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just kind of the mindset at that point. So it ended in 1987, the snagging, and, you know, then the, the real fishing started so that's kind of a you know short form that's pretty much where i've been and so moved uh, to buffalo i, I yep. have to i have to ask you 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 mentioned yep you know that you you it's not just fishing you've done other things in the outdoors so do you still do any hunting at all or are you pretty much not, just fishing now 
I, uh, I, I mean, this, this takes up my whole, you know, what would, would be a whole season of hunting. Um, so, I mean, when I started 25 years ago and I still tried to hold on to the, to the hunting aspect of it, but I just couldn't do it. The more clients I got, the longer I was out and it pretty much covered from September through till, you know, December. So the seasons were closed by the time I got done. So I, but the reality is, is I still hunt. You know, I just hunt for fish now. Sure. So sure. I've incorporated that into into the whole show, basically. And I think it's interesting, um, and then we'll we'll kind of get into some more, uh, I guess, deep dive discussions. But it's kind of interesting when you know Jim gave me your contact information, and I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago. And you know, in and one thing that surprised me is that you you really don't have a you don't have a website, you don't have any any. You're not in the social media as far as, you know, promoting your, your guide service. You really do it by word of mouth. And um, from what, you know, both you and, and Jim both told me, you pretty much have all you can do. You repeat business just word of mouth, which speaks volumes for you're obviously doing a good job. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I try. I mean, I, you know, it's fishing, but I, I you know, in a past life as well, um, I wrote the first bio I wrote, I, I wrote and it, I just looked at it and I said, you know, you're, you're kind of off, off target here, but I, I went to school in Watertown and then I, I ended up in Buffalo, uh, and went to the university of Buffalo and became a, a, a drug and alcohol counselor and did that for a, for a, a bit. And then I worked in a, you know, a kid's, uh, lockdown facility, you know, for violent offender kids. Mm-hmm. So the reality of, of becoming a guide was fly fishing for me at that point in time in my life was more of a function of, of trying to gain back some sense of peace and, and serenity. And, and I had always found that in the outdoors when I was a kid, you know, if anything troubled you, you really, um, you know, you could go out and carouse around in the woods and go fish. And, you know, it was just carefree and peaceful. And, you know, there was always something to, to, to learn and take in and stuff. And so, you know, as my career went with, with that, as, you know, that aspect of my life, um, I, I just got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't see, you know, the you know the the things in the world that were happening to to these kids and parents and society so i mean i kind of worked in a field that you know you sent these kids away and it was a part of society that nobody wanted to you know nobody wanted to know existed so you burn out and what would happen was i would have three and a half days on three and a half days off and the three and a half days off it got to be the three and a half days were or the three days you know i had to come home to go back to work but the three days that i had off i was fishing down in central pennsylvania i was driving up to the adirondacks i was going to the catskills i was always fly fishing somewhere right. someplace new and I did that for, you know, probably six or seven years. 
when I, when I was working. And then I just said enough, you, you can't do this anymore. I just, you know, I was, I was, it was, I, I was burned out and I, somebody mentioned to me, you know, because I, I, I mean, I would take these kids out fly fishing and I would take them into the outdoors and, and do stuff with them. I wanted to, to expose these kids to, you know, the, the, these were inner city kids. They were, you know, going back to the environment that they came from. And I wanted to provide them with what I was provided with when I was young. You know, and that was, it's free. It's the outdoors, it's fishing, it's hunting, it's trapping, it's going out and watching birds, it's, you know, just studying nature. And I wanted to provide that for those kids. And, and, and I did, I, I, I did. And some of them actually, you know, took to it. And everyone always, you know, all of these kids had fun, you know, taking them to a creek. I mean, you know, they would come back, you know, it was like a, production line for showers because they get all <laughs> muddy and dirty and whatnot and nobody was yelling at him for it right. and it was a it was a, a you know a it, it now was a part of their life and so when i finally got burned out i just you know i said enough's enough and somebody said to me well why don't you why don't you guide you're fly fishing all the time and I gave it a thought because I really didn't have any, any plan. And I gave it some thought and I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. And I did. So how'd you, so how'd you start that business, Mike? Um, it, in, initially I posted an ad in, there was a publication and I, you know, I'm 51. So I, I don't remember things clearly now, but, um, Oh, you're an old man, basically. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I'm just, it's its starting, believe me. It's starting. I've got all the notes from 25 years of clients with, you know, hip replacements and, you know, all this other stuff. So I said, I, I've, ar- I said I've already that got the I list present. Two this year. What's, <laughs> I've got the list all prepared, man. I got guys that, you know, I, I got, I had a, uh, a client and then I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question but um i had a client that uh comes in with me every year i got i have now three generations of his family that come in so i got his grandkids their fathers and then him and then there's a couple other guys that come in on the trip but he's been coming in with me for probably 20 years now and we were walking we were steelhead fishing um, on uh, uh, Twenty Mile Creek, which is down on the PA New York border, and you got to d- walk this switchback going down in, and uh, it's the the from the creek up the gorge is probably probably two hundred feet, so you got to watch this switchback down in, and then we fish down towards this big trestle, and uh, we were down towards the trestle at at you know almost dark. And he said to us, uh, um, he was with his son. It was at the end of the week. That's kind of the, kind of the way the trip goes is his son comes in the end of the week and, uh, you know, all the other, all the other kids and their fathers come in the beginning of the week. So anyhow, he, he didn't want to walk all the way back up the switchback. So I said, well, there's a trail going up by the, you know, by the train trestle here. And, uh, we, his son was pulling and I was pushing 
to get him up out of there. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy's like in his 70s. So he ends up irritating a hernia. Mm. Yeah, coming out. Well, it's I mean, there's a happy ending to this. You know, not the surgery, but there's a happy ending to this. So <laughs> yeah. he, he, uh, he went in to have the hernia checked and... They and now this is nine years later, and when he had the work blood work done, they found that he had the the beginnings of pancreatic cancer. Oh wow! Which which everybody knows is you know in 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 normal terms it's a death sentence. You know it's six months, a right. year, whatever. So they had found this cancer in its infancy. Unlike any other case that, that that they have, because he got that hernia, they found this pancreatic cancer, and they did the treatments, and they did the operation and everything else, and he's still alive. So there's, there's a blessing for you as far as, you know, one of the things that have happened over the years with uh, clients that I've had. But um, what was the question again? <laughs> sorry, I'm Nick. sorry. That was all my fault. Go ahead, Nick. How did oh, how no, did I, I how did I how did I start as far as advertisement and stuff like that? Yeah, how did you get the how'd you um, get the business off the ground and rolling? How did you get a, a like your first client and and like how did it go from there? Um, the first client came from New Jersey, and I had I had ran a, a, a an advertisement in a publication that was out that was. It was just for like the East Coast for trout fishing. It was a magazine. I, I don't remember the name of it. But anyways, I ran the article in there or ran the, the commercial advertisement in there. And um, I got business from that. Um, I worked at the Orvis shop in Buffalo and then a shop up on Lake Ontario. So I got business from them. and And then I got business from the advertisement and then it just kind of you know picked up from there i was blessed in the sense that i got a lot of corporate stuff so i ended up with getting corporate people and just kind of it it built you know like like each three or four guys built like a tree of people right and then and then it just branched out from there and I was like, well, you know, I, I mean, I could advertise, but you know, I mean, I can't, it's not like I can do more work, you know, it's not like I can do, do more. So, so what became most important to me, just like when, when I was, you know, counseling and, you know, taking care of those kids was, you know, give your best like every day you know, develop a relationship with, you know, the people that you have in front of you. And the reality of it is, is, I mean, you know, it's not just guiding. I mean, I'm not just going out and, you know, pointing out fish to people, you know, even though that's what, what's the point of, you know, the trip. But I mean, I get people in and they, you know, they want to talk about things. Um, they want to, you know, talk about their lives. They want to talk about, you know, all kinds of different stuff. So I, I, I guess I'm blessed in the, you know, my schooling and my personality is such that, 
you know, I can really develop a relationship with people and, and, you know, it's lasting. I mean, I've, you know, guys in that were, you know, divorcing or lost their wives or, I mean, you know, a lot of, you know, stuff that just happens in life, but you know, they come in and, and, you know, by the end of the trip, I mean, you know, they have a, a, you know, a certain sense of peace and, you know, serenity that they didn't have when they came in. Um, and then I've got the guys that just want to come in and count numbers, you know, how many fish they can catch and compete and do all that stuff. So the word of mouth thing, just all I can tell you is it was just a blessing. One of those things from the guy upstairs that, you know, this is where you should be. And, you know, he kind of provides for you because I didn't, I didn't work that long for, for shops. I mean, I got real busy real quick. Um, you know, within two years, you know, I was going full time and I was also tying commercially as well. You know, I was doing 30,000, 40,000 flies a year, Whoa. you know, tying commercially. <laughs> I mean, I did, did for, um, <laughs> yeah 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 you can you can tell that to my fingers and i was getting ready to say that made my hands hurt just hearing that. yeah yeah my tennis elbows and rotator yeah, cuffs yeah. and my neck yeah. and everything else so S steve complains about a few strings and you're tying forty thousand flies yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that was i mean i think at peak at one time that's what i was tying. i tied humpies which are a trout pattern and mm -hmm. a tractor pattern i tied burgundy humpies and lime green humpies. And I, I, I'll tell you what, if I've got like a 30-inch uh, brown rising to humpies in front of me, I will not put a humpy on. I tied for five years straight. <laughs> I, was, I was tying, you know, 200 dozen of those things. You know, each, is, each. Uh, is, it, is, it even, is it even fun anymore after that many? I mean... Do you, do you, tie, tie? Just like, can I tie anything but you know something other than that? Like, well, the thing that yeah. you know that's that's the, I was going to cover that too. The you know the thing between trout fishing and steelhead fishing is, you know, steelhead are andronomous fish. They're coming into spawn, and in general, they're not uh, they're not eating. I mean, they're not. In my experience, I mean, you know, unless it comes down to an egg or or some sort of predatory thing, you know, a predatory response. I mean, an egg is is, you know, a source of protein for all fish. So, I mean, they take eggs because that's probably genetically encoded in them that, you know, it's a protein source and you know, it sustains them over the winter and stuff because you have fish following fish in over the course of a run and each fish that follows the first fish in is eating its eggs. So a salmon will come in and, and, and a brown trout comes in and the brown trout are banging into the salmon to, to uh, you know, knock the eggs out of them and then they're like little Pac-Man eating all the eggs and stuff. So, you know, that's, that's it. So when, you, when you're steelhead fishing, I mean, you have more ability to be creative as far as you know the patterns that you tie and with trout fishing you're more entomology and 
like like bait fish. You're you're more entomology and bait fish oriented. So there's very specific patterns, very specific sizes, you know, of flies, and and very specific times of the year, you know, that the hatches take place, and that's what you have to fish. And you have to be able to, if you've got multiple flies on the water, you've got to be able to study that and see what the fish prefers taking. So, I mean, it, you know, it's a science project sometimes. I mean, I fish um, and guide, you know, on the Delaware, and that's, that's a science project. I mean, you know, you, 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 know, you got eight, eight different sizes of blue-winged olives that are coming off. You know, anywhere from size 18 down to 26. Well, you you pretty much can, can, you know, bet on which size they take, the 26s, you know, or 24s. So, I mean, they take the smallest size. So, try, you know, a size 24 is like, you know, just the tip of a pin. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, like trichos and all that. But, um so the steelhead aspect aspect of it, you can as a fly tire, I enjoy that more than I do, you know, tying the dry flies and stuff like that. It's all the same thing, whatever. You know, I develop, I've developed over the years a lot of um, emerger patterns, which is just a phase of, you know, a phase of the uh, life cycle of the insect. It's when it's hatching, you know, on the water. But I mean, I've mm-hmm. developed that aspect of it. But with steelhead. Um, you know, I, I pretty much, whatever's on my palette, you know, as far as color combinations, sizes, um, I'm, I'm, you know, you got a lot of, you got a lot of longitude and latitude with it. So, so for, for people like me that just have never fished for them and, and have no exposure to steelhead whatsoever, what is a steelhead? Is it a trout? A steelhead is is uh, basically, you know, everything in the Great Lakes has been planted. Mm-hmm. So, basically, out west, I mean, they're all they're all you know sea run fish, and I mean, it's genetically they're different. They're different than rainbow trout's. You know, one sea run, whereas one lives in a river or is lake run. So, I mean, that's the difference. It's just a genetic difference, and in the Great Lakes. Uh, like Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, generally our fishery has been created by, you know, Pulaski, the hatchery up in uh, 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 Pulaski on the Salmon River. Altmar is the hatchery. So, so we have in in Lake Erie alone, we have um, London strain of fish that came from from Ontario. We have. Uh, a domestic rainbow that is shorter and more compact and actually turns a more rainbowish color as as the longer it stays in in the river and the closer it gets to spawning and then we have a chambers creek fish which are long you know they're a long lean you know big fish that came from i think that was a wa- that's a washington strain um, so there's a bunch of different strains of fish that are in there. And then we have actually, um, uh, for Nick, we have uh, uh, the manistee strain of fish that 
um, they put in, I'm not sure if they put them in, in in Pennsylvania anymore, but Ohio specifically has the manistee strain of fish down there. And they're more of a, they're more of a kind of midwinter spring run fish. So that extends my season. I mean, I'm down there guiding in the spring um, as well uh, for the manistees. And that, that, that'll run you till you know, sometime in May. So it's a long season. So I had, and I, I don't know if I read this or saw it in glancing or something. I started to ask the question this way, and I'm still not clear after, not that you weren't very in depth on that answer. I'm just, I'm not. So is a steelhead um, a it's rainbow a, trout or is it related to a rain? Because I've seemed like I've read that somewhere before that a steelhead is just a rainbow trout, but it's it a, did. okay. It, yeah, it's a coastal rainbow trout, they call it. Coastal rainbow? Okay. What is it, Aronchus micus or something is the, I don't know what, that's Swahili or Greek or something. But anyways, that's the the strain of, of rainbow trout it is, so. Very interesting. Um, like I said, I thought I'd read that before, but I wasn't sure. Go ahead, Nick, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um... Oh no! Actually, I wasn't. I didn't say anything. Oh, I thought you did. I, 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 <laughs> Got to come up with something quick. Huh? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> well, I, I'm listening. I'm just listening to you talk here, Mike, and you're all over the place. Uh, I mean, where do you? How many different rivers and and whatnot do you fish a year? I mean, how big's the area you cover? You must you must be putting some miles on. I'm a I'm a I'm a nomad. I'm a nomad. I don't. Uh, you know, that's in my blood too. I guess just a wanderlust, but. Um, I cover some of the rivers up in the Adirondacks. I mean, that's if clients, you know, want to go up there. Sometimes, you know, I, I, last year, I wasn't up there last year, but I had, I had surgery in the summer on my, on my neck. So, but I, I, I've covered basically all of the spring creeks in, in Pennsylvania. Um, I've, I cover for steelhead actually i cover the ohio trips the pennsylvania trips the new york trips the lake ontario trips pretty much all the way up to the salmon river to watertown so how that works is um salmon river south sandy north sandy those creeks i generally am up there in the fall i've never even thought about the method to my madness to be honest with you. So I got to put this together, you know, right now um, that you're asking, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm up. No, no. I mean, I just, I just go do, I mean, I, you know, I, I have uh, specific patterns every year. I just never think about them. Right. Um, so I do the salmon start generally because, because your climate's a little bit different up there. Um, and, the salmon tend to run earlier up up in the you know the eastern end of lake ontario they tend to come in earlier onto the salmon river and into the sandy so that allows me to kind of start things off in september when the trout fishing is kindly kindly kind of done um except for you know real tiny flies and stuff like that and everybody's burned out on trout at that point everybody's you know hankering for you know the lake run fish but so that 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 brings me there in september and then you know i'll i'll you know do trips up there i try and book you know 
a block of days, you know, so if it's a couple weeks, I'm just up there for a couple weeks. Um, it's only a two and a half hour drive, so it's not, you know, it's not a big deal. I mean, I, you know, I've gone five and a half hours to guide, um, which is not, not a big deal. I Un- mean, unless just, there's a foot of snow. Well, no, I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I had to call the guys who were pouting that today that, or two days ago, he called me and he's like, you didn't call me. And I said, I told you I wasn't going to call you if it got cold because it's, it's over with. I said, we got teens. And I said, there's there's ice blocks floating down some of the smaller creeks right now. So, you know, we're finished. We blew it then. He said, we blew it. I said, yeah, you should have come in like a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, anyhow, so it starts there for 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 the salmon stuff and then you know october through well this year it was january but normally it's december you know just right after christmas is when i end around here so around here means you know two hours to the east you know two hours to the west of buffalo and then in the spring i can either do the the tributaries for steelhead here in New York, or I have the option of going down into Ohio and doing those trips that I've fished for, you know, 30 years. So, I mean, I have that option to be able to, to move around, which is great because it, it, you know, it provides guys with more opportunity. Um, so, so then that takes me into May, and then I've got guys, clients that want to fish for dropbacks, and I can either do that down on the Ohio, Ohio trips, which, you know, the climate, even though you're not too far over from Buffalo, you're only two hours to the Ohio line. Even though you're, 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 you're two hours over, it's still the Midwest. So it can actually warm up. And they, they can be about a week or two ahead of us, you know, come May, where it's warmed up enough where the water temperatures have went up and the fish are on their way out or gone. So that's not, you know, dropbacks there isn't a reliable thing. But up on the Salmon River in Pulaski and the Sandies and the Black River, you know, you got all that water coming out of the Tug Hill Plateau that, that's in the form of, you know, feet and feet and feet of snow over the winter. So the water temperatures will stay cooler up there and the fish will be more comfortable to stay in. Um, so that brings me into, you know, to May. You know, I think I was I was up there last year. At, I think it was like the third week of May and we still had fish moving through. We had Atlantic, Atlantic, landlocked salmon that were coming up the river. And we were fishing for those. They were hanging out with a steelhead and suckers and all that other stuff. So they have a run of those that come in as well. It's not as targetable and consistent, but they have a run. And then, you know, and then there's a block of time where I do the the warm water fish coming in out of Lake Erie um, and Lake Ontario, which we have a, a bass season, which is a trophy trophy bass season. Right. So, I mean, you you have smallmouth bass coming into the creeks, hundreds, I mean, hundreds of them, 
that are coming into the creeks to spawn and they're, you know, anywhere from, you know, four to seven pounds. And so I got guys that fish for that and want to fish for those. And, you know, I do that. And then, you know, some carp here, carp there. And then the trout fishing is, you know, trout fishing in Western New York, there's nothing really outstanding about it. I mean, we've got some, some good small inland streams, but, you know, with the weather being the way that it has been, you know, in the summertime, I mean, they're done by the end of June. So, I mean, I had to kind of, you know, figure out how to, uh, I've, I've had to figure out how to adjust to that. And that, that's what brought me down to the Catskills, which, you know, they're all reservoir fisheries that have uh, bottom release dams on them. So the water stays you know, 40, 50 degrees all summer. And they're, tr- and the trout are, you know, they're really big. They're, there's some really nice fish down there. And then the Adirondacks was just where I was from. So I kind of did a stint up there of seven summers in a row. And I've still got residual guys from that, that I, you know, still, when they want to come in, I mean, you got to kind of you know, book blocks of time, but I try and put something together for that for a month or two. So it's kind of unique. I mean, I, I, I guess it's kind of unique what I do, but, um, I mean, I've fished all over the place. So it's, it's, you know, you, I mean, if you fish a river, you learn the intricacies of it and, you know, then it's yours. Well, it's, you know, it's, it, and it's obvious that you're, you're, you're passionate about it. Mike, so I have to ask, there's a couple of questions I really want to ask him. You know, the first one is, do you, you know, as a, as a guide, are you, you hear so many people talk that, that hunt, that guide, or excuse me, hunters that turned into guides and, you know, they kind of lose the desire to hunt themselves. They, you know, it's really just about the guiding. So do you do, are you still uh, an avid fisherman or are you really just about teaching others and, and helping others be successful? Um, am I still an avid fisherman? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I've kind of, how can I put this? The, once you develop your skill and your craft and you set goals and you meet them and, and, you know, whatever, however you do that. I mean this, you know, fly fishing is just simply a matter of, of you know, you got to practice. If you're a golfer, you got to practice. You got to do it to be good at it. If you're a bow hunter, you've got to, you know, do everything that you can to learn that craft and, and practice to be good at it. So I, I, you know, there's not a lot of challenges. Um, like I don't go out and I don't, I don't go out anymore and think, you know, I'm going out, I'm not going to catch anything. You know, it's like I'm going out and I'm just fishing and I and I pretty much catch fish. But I'm more I enjoy the people that I have. I, I enjoy taking people out. You know, the, the you get a father son out or or just, you know, I mean, even if they're an adult, I mean, and, and that's the first steelhead that they've ever caught in their lifetime. You're a part of their memory for the rest of their lives. And that's an honor. You know, that's something pretty special. 
you know, that somebody, I mean, it's pretty special that somebody's going to pay me to take them out and fish. I mean, it's more than fishing though. It's, it's an experience and it's developing a relationship. I don't know if other guides do that. I'm, I'm not sure. I never really, I'm, I'm kind of on the outside of, of that. I was getting ready to say, in my humble opinion, that's probably why you're so successful and, and don't need to advertise and word of mouth keeps you busy in my, that would just, that would just be my take. So I don't know. Whatever the equation is, I'm blessed and, you know, whatever the equation is, is why. I mean, I, I know I have my, the clients that I have, I mean a tremendous amount to them. You know I mean? As far as, you know, it went beyond, you know, just handing me you know, a handful of hundred dollar bills at the end of the day. In fact, that never was the point of it. You know, everybody's got a different relationship with money. Sure. You know, and, and, and I, you know, this probably came from my upbringing, you know, as far as, I mean, I watched a lot of people, you know, in my upbringing that, you know, they just, they gave of themselves and you learn that and you're instilled with that and that's what you try and you know that's what you try and give you know to 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 the world or to each individual that you meet some people accept it some people don't you know some people want just a you know a complete business relationship and all they're there for is fish and um and that's fine too you know everybody's got a different reason for coming in um, Man, like you, you must have a lot of really good stories, probably enough to, to write a book. <laughs> I mean, do you, I, 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 yeah, I, pro- I probably do. Probably. Do you, have, do you have any that really stand out in your head? Like, if, like to, to tell our listeners, like any that, you know, whether it's a success story or anything cool that really, that happened that you just, you know, to this day, just kind of just pop out. I have, I have, uh, there's nothing really really amazing about the story other than the fact I guided this guy from the very beginning um, of, of my you know right when I started he was the guy from New Jersey and he fished with me until he was 92 years old and he came in a week one week every fall with me for i think it was 19 years and i would stay with him i'd pick him up at the airport um we'd go you know bed and breakfast or a lodge you know whatever whatever and we started staying at a, a bed and breakfast down on the reservation that's here the tp bed and breakfast on the cataraugus indian reservation and um Anyway, anyways, I, 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 I listened to, I mean, this is, this is a guy, he owned a company. His father came over from, from, uh, it was one of the Eastern Bloc, Hungary he came from and Jewish and he came over, you know, for the American dream and he, Trenton, New Jersey, and he, he actually, uh, drove around Trenton. They came here with absolutely nothing, his father and, and mother and they drove around with with one wagon with a horse and collected all the the used tires back then they were what model t's or something i mean it was you know it was a long time ago sure and within 
I think it was 16 years of starting to do that. He went and bought the company. You know, he got obviously more business, more wagons, more trucks, whatever. And it was a rubber recycling plant there. And his father bought it. And he worked there. Uh, this guy, Cy, worked there. Um, and then when his father died, I mean, he ran the factory. So this is a guy who was, I mean, he had more money than God. You know, I mean, this was a guy that, that fished in Russia before, you know, Kamchatka before, you know, the Kamchatka Peninsula. He fished there before anybody was fishing there. You know, he fished in Tasmania, um, England. He, he had fished on the, the Royal, you know, waterways, whatever they were. But he, he had been all over the world. So he had stories about that. Um, and he, I, I, you know, I'd have to listen to the same stories every single year. He was deaf. He, he had a, you know, this guy had, had a ton of money and he, he had a, uh, remember those, remember when you were kids and, you know, you went to school and, you know, a, a kid that was hard of hearing had that box with a string around, you know, your neck and then the hearing aid going up to it. So that was, you know, that, I mean, that was probably back 60s and 70s, those were. And that's what he wore. And all the time guiding with him, I would have to turn the thing up and down to stop the feedback and whatnot. But he, he, he chose to come in every year and spend a week with me fishing. And I'll tell you what, he taught me a lot about how to fish different ways in low water and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it, it was, he was the most favorite. He was the most favorite, you know, person that I, that I had in. I mean, he'd been all over the place and, you know, he just, all he wanted to do was catch fish. That, that made him happy. That made him, even though he was in his seventies and eighties, I mean, that, you know, made him keep going in life and you know the one of the last years that I had him the last year that I that I had with him was you know he had spinal stenosis and couldn't walk very much and you know he couldn't stand very long and I had went to I think we stopped at a Walmart or something in Pennsylvania and I bought a camp chair for him and we went in back of this this uh tackle shop on uh elk creek and there were you know it was mid-fall so the pool was full of fish and i got the chair out put the chair over on the 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 sandbar and he would get up and he'd fish to these he'd hook them and i mean he couldn't even land them anymore but you know just the fact that you know he he came in with me for you know a week every year and he could be a kid for a week every year, you know, was what kept him going in life. So, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff is really, it's really neat, you know, to, to think about, um, you know, that you've had people like that. So he was an interesting character. Interesting. Yes. That's pretty some special. of the, some of the, st some of the things that I can tell you about him, I, I, you know, they're not, 
you know, you'd have to do a rating on your show, I think, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, it was, uh, he was an interesting character. Cy Rosenthal was Cy his name. Rosenthal. No, that's a name, too. Yep, Cy Rosenthal. Man. Yep. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a good friend at that point. Won, won mm. the war by, uh, you know, in a lighthouse up on Lake Michigan. That's how I, that's how I won the war for the United States. <laughs> They sent him up to Lake Michigan. He was uh, he went to Ohio State University for animal husbandry. I mean, I, I Ohio State animal husbandry. Anyhow, he went to Ohio State, and one of the stories he told me was he used to hitchhike from Ohio State all the way up to to Cleveland, and in Cleveland they have a man made. Uh, fishery, a stream that they built, you know, that comes out of a spring and it's, it's stocked. It's for, you know, it's for the, you know, the elite of Cleveland, you know, and he heard about it. And so he hitched hike one weekend from Ohio state and went up there and started fishing. And the game warden came along because, you know, the place was posted and the game warden came along and said, you know, you're on, you know, you're on posted property. And he said, well, I didn't know that. He said, well, he goes, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. And he said, okay. He goes, why don't you come back tomorrow at the same time and give me another ticket? Because the fish in here are huge and I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so, and how, yeah, how I mean, old was he when this happened? You, I mean, roughly. Well, he was in college, so oh, okay. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if he, you know, twenties. <laughs> he said his early twenties, but anyway, that's what he told the game board. That's hilarious. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Well, sure. speaking speaking of funny stories, because that was that was actually a very good a very good story. But I, I got um, so your buddy Jim. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> he said to ask you. And and I'm I'm looking at his message here, something about a guy stopping in the fly shop and asking if if they got a barafar a bar, bar oh, got, oh, got, oh, got barafar. Right. Yeah, I, I was I was working I was working up. I had I had I worked up in the shop on Lake Ontario Orleans uh, Outdoors. It was called. It's not. It's no longer there. Or it's Oak Orchard Tackle and Lodge or something now. But anyways, I was working up there, and we used to get. People in from all over the place. I mean, everybody comes in all over the, from all over the country for salmon, and then you got more guys coming from all over the country for brown trout because I mean they're up to thirty, thirty-two inches, so they're they're big, fat, you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen pound fish. So I mean, you get people from everywhere. But anyways, they you know I'd get get a host of characters coming up in the shop and stuff, and I had this guy come strolling in it was like in an afternoon and he uh comes up the counter and he goes got burper <laughs> and I, I i i i don't i don't i don't want to offend anybody from the state of central pennsylvania but i mean we we used to get people in from they they all seem to be from like the central Pennsylvania area. Somebody will shoot me probably next year. But anyways, they would come in and I had a central Pennsylvania language conversion chart <laughs> that 
<laughs> because their accents or their colloquialisms, they, they were, they, 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 everything is asked in the form of a question. Everything, every reply or anything they give, they raise their, they raise their voice at the end of the sentence like it's a, like it's a question that they're asking, but they're not asking a question. Everything comes in the form of like, uh, uh, from a audio point as a question. So anyways, this guy comes into the shop and he, he says that to me and I, you know, kind of scratch my head, you know, just figure I got, you know, another, you know, guy from wherever, you know? And I looked at him and I said, I'm sorry. I said, can you, can you repeat that? And he says, uh, yeah, you got burper. <laughs> And then he looks up. Well, the shop sitting behind me is the head of a black bear. And it rang in my head. Do we have, I said, are you, I said, you got to separate those words for me, man. I said, I can't, I just can't do this. You know, I said, you got a punctuation and all that stuff. Even though I'm not a good writer, I said, you got to, you got to separate those words there, buddy. And then I thought about it for a second. And I said, oh, do we have bear up here? Yeah, yeah. He goes, you got burper. You know, so he got a little more. So that was the, that was the got burper. I mean, he had it all put together. It was funny as hell. Uh, so uh, I gotta ask, um, since since uh, Jim threw that one at me, have you got any, have you got any good stories that might involve Jim Desias? <laughs> Jim Desias. <laughs> Oh God, not, <laughs> not, unfortunately nothing, uh, what would the word be? Nothing clean. No, I was getting ready to say nothing we could, we could include because I don't the think the show does have a clean rating. I should have told you clean. that ahead of time. <laughs> I, I, I think if I got done, you know, some of the story, I actually just sent him a text last night. I was reminiscing about one of the times I, I went down to to florida and we ended up in some of those you know seedier areas of uh, <laughs> you know where people are da dancing and yeah you know, we, we got the picture taking things <laughs> off but anyways i couldn't remember this place and i sent jim a text and he was like oh yeah yeah it was scarlet's it was scarlet's i said yeah i remember now but yeah no i mean jim and i you know on i met jim through a through uh actually one of his friends that I was friends with and you know we just kind of became fast friends we had very you know outdoor similar interests and stuff like that I don't think I ever hunted with him but I think that was mainly because you know my the way my season went I mean I I was a an avid avid bow hunter um you know I sat in a tree stand for you know two weeks out of the year you know so I was I was real serious about it and I you know I've shot deer and and whatnot with the bow, you know, but I, you know, cutting, you know, lanes and shooting lanes and scent lines and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I, I did all that. I was very into all that. And, and basically what has happened is all of that skill that, that, that you get from doing that. And then from deer hunting, the hunting aspect of it kind of the keenness, mm -hmm. all of that stuff that, that, you know, those senses that you develop, 
you take with you and you use them, you know, in guiding. And, and that's pretty much what I've done with it. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I hunt. I mean, our creeks are such that, you know, with the exception of like Cattaraugus Creek and like the Grand River in Ohio and say, uh, 18 mile Creek, um, on Lake Erie, you know, with the exception of those that are deeper where you can't really see the fish. I mean, the smaller tributaries, um, you know, I, I spend 95% of my time sight fishing, pointing out, you know, fish and pockets and slots. And so the, 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 the whole day is, uh, you know, a whole day of guiding with me. I mean, generally we hike a couple you know, at least two and a half, three miles, which a lot of the other guides don't don't do a lot of. I mean, my 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 idea of somebody coming in is is to show them an experience and try and keep them away from the crowds. You're gonna have crowds anyways, but you know, I've kind of been a a a, a master at being able to to move around. And, and hike and hike away from people and get away from people and, you know, get people into fish and stuff. And if anything, in the end, I mean, you know, I mean, the trips on Lake Erie are, you know, when I, where I do, you know, most of my steelhead fishing, uh, you know, they're beautiful. I mean, they're in, you know, uh, shale gorges that, you know, they're 70 feet high to Cataraugus has got some cliffs on it that are, 300 feet high and you're nestled into these things so you feel like you're away from it all and sometimes in these smaller towns the creeks run through these smaller towns and you know there's houses right up at the top of the cliffs but you don't see them and you don't even know they're there and then you get further inland and you've got more you know you've got more desolation then as far as you know the creeks running further inland into into the southern tier and then it's just all woodlands and stuff like that but you know i i try and make it a you know i got kids that fossil hunt i mean i i got one of one guy's kid you know came in and i think he had you know an issue like attention deficit disorder and whatnot and i mean he was good for maybe you know three fish and then he had to go you know throw rocks at the wall or something like that and i mean i took him while his father was trying to fish and you know i said your dad said you like fossils and you know stupid me i mean we came came back with like you know 40 pounds of rocks that we were carrying out of the creek but you know i mean that that sparked this kid's interest and now he comes in every year i mean hmm. he's he's made it a you know his life's passion so so yeah, I mean it's it's been a unique experience for me. So Mike, we people go to you for a special experience guiding, and they go to Jim for the seedy part of Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that'll be. Jim's gonna love you, Mary. Mary yeah, Mary Lucy will love that. Yeah. Be somebody uh, at my just... doorstep tomorrow with a machete or something well yeah. you know it's it's funny mike because whenever i you know i've i've looked into just like 
guiding and, and heard, you know, not to actually hire a guide or anything, but people talk about guiding on Facebook groups sometimes or on, on forums or, or anywhere or just word of mouth. I've heard about guides. And the only thing you ever hear is like, well, make sure you do this so you don't make the guide mad. You know, make sure make sure you let the guide pick the flies so you catch fish and the guide don't get mad. You know, don't do this if the guide gets mad. And like, it sounds like, like, so I had this like vision in my head that if you go with a guide, you have to be just like on your toes the whole time and, and know what you're doing and, and listen really well and, and all this and, and be on your best behavior. And it, and it sounds like the relationship you have with your clients isn't like that at all. It's almost like fishing with your best friend. Uh, for, for the most part, for most of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a, you know, a, I, I mean, I have a place in a lot of people's families. I mean, you know, come down, stay with us, you know, blah, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, Sai, I mean, I stayed with for a week out of the year, every year, you know, I mean, it was just like, you know, it was like he was coming up to see his son or something, you know, or, or coming up to see his grandson and he was there for a week. So, you know, I, I, I just, my interest is people. I enjoy people. I enjoy stories. I enjoy what they do. I enjoy talking about that. I mean, I get, you know, I, I, I get, uh, what would the word be? I mean, I'll get agitated sometimes, you know, if somebody's doing the same thing over and over and over again, but you know, it's not like I'm screaming at them to do something different. I mean, it's, you know, you just got to change this and you know, that won't happen or, um, you know, the worst is sight fishing. The worst, I mean, I, 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 I mean, everybody here, you know, all the other guides and stuff that I know and, you know, everybody that I fish with over the years have been thoroughly mesmerized by my ability to be able to, to see steelhead, you know, in, in, in the creeks and stuff because, you know, the creeks are a gray bottom, you know, or a tan bottom. That's the color of shale that we have up here. It's a, you know, it's a clay gray color or a tan color. And then the water is kind of a, you know, it's kind of like an emerald green color or, you know, it's got a little tint in it of milk because there's a lot of, a lot of gray clay up in the hills. So my ability to sight fish and and find fish to put people on fish is is i you know i i guess it's amazing i don't really know i just do it but it, it it all goes back to to hunting i mean i started hunting with a pellet gun and we were shooting partridge you know i mean on the, on the ground with pellet guns or rabbits on the ground and stuff like that you know but i would go sit in the woods for hours and just pick animals out, you know, look for animals or, you know, hearing or whatever. So, I mean, I developed that, that keen ability with my eyes to be able to, to see, I mean, it's no good for my eyes. I mean, but you know, or my neck or anything else, but you know, to have your head, you know, hovering out like the, you know, boom on a crane all day long. But I mean, I, you know, that was one of the skills that I took with me that I didn't realize that I even had until, you know, 
somebody said, you're nuts. There's nothing there. And I said, just, you know, put the fly up there at about, you know, two o'clock and let it drift to, you know, 11 o'clock. And I said, the thing's going to hit it. And, you know, then the fish took and they were like, yeah, okay. I guess I won't question you again. But I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just, you know, every year the guys laugh about it because they'll be standing right next to me. And I'll be pointing to, you know, seven fish and they can't see them. So it's, you know, it's developing all your, all of your skills that make the difference, you know, between, you know, steelhead fishing. I mean, you know, you're fishing a lot, a lot of time in inclement weather. So, I mean, there's a lot against you being successful, you know, especially as the fall goes on, there's a lot against being successful you know, fishing. And I've just worked my way around it on top of, of having the skill to be able to, you know, tie flies and, you know, develop patterns that, you know, the fish take all the time. I mean, I got, you know, it's stupid how many flies I have fly boxes. It's re it really is. It shows it, you know, I should be sitting on a psych ward somewhere, <laughs> you know, with maybe somebody having me dry in between the lines or something that comes at I, that comes at 52 mike <laughs> okay that's per perfect as I long have, as they as long as they bring in tapioca pudding and not rice pudding i i have one measly little box that i that's got like three little parts that i had working on <laughs> i had i had uh uh i had these two guys up on lake ontario that came in and they were from somewhere in france they wanted to come into steelhead fish and so i had them stay at this this lodge up on lake ontario and i took them out and um they when i you know opened my you know fanny pack there and, and they you know they were driving in my truck so I, or in my jeep and you know in the back is all my fly boxes in this in this you know big green you know tote and I flipped it open and I said, oh, we don't need this. We need that. We don't need this. And these guys are just sitting there like, you know, with their mouths open, like, are those all flies? I said, yeah, <laughs> but that, I mean, those are the fly boxes. I said, there's flies in a, every box. And I said, yeah. Well, how many boxes do you have? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. So they did a photo shoot in the lodge of all my fly boxes open. And then they, and I don't even know where the article is, but, and then they, they had an article that they wrote in a, it was a French magazine over in France somewhere. And, um, they sent it, they sent me the, the magazine. They had done this article and they had done this article on steelheading and, you know, all the flies that this guide was carrying and, you know, it was like, you know, we, we only had like, you know, one and a half boxes each and there was probably, you know, 50 boxes in the back of his car and in his fanny pack. That's, you know, as far as steelhead fishing, I mean, that, that, you know, if there's any one thing that, that would, that, you know, if you don't have a wide variety of flies 
then you're not catching fish or you're not catching them consistently. Um, that's probably one of the, one of the, the bigger things that I've learned over the years that, you know, you really need to have stuff that you can present to them when they're comfortable. You know, you can fish one pattern to them or two patterns to them when they're a little more wary you know, because of the sun over their heads or shadows or whatever, or they know that you're there, then if you don't have other stuff, you know, then you're just not going to catch them. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's one of the big things. And then being able to, you know, having, you know, uh, the ability to nymph fish and being, instead of being more, visual with a strike indicator be more tactile you know with you know kind of short line nymphing and uh um uh you know swinging streamers or you know that kind of stuff i try to get guys to be more tactile than i do visual um so that they can feel the bottom and feel because every river that i fish and that this is the other thing that i didn't know i have like a photographic memory in my mind because I'm sight fishing and I'm looking at structure all day long and nooks and crannies and whatever. I'm looking at all that stuff all day long, all day long. I mean, I don't even know the leaves are off the ground, you know, till like December. And I'm like, you know, where the hell did all the leaves go? Because I'm staring at water. No, I'm serious. I'm staring at water. I, I literally am staring at water all day long. I mean, I blacken the side shields out on my glasses so I don't have any light coming in. And all I use is copper lenses. I don't use any other. And, and it doesn't matter if it's, a, you know, Smith copper lens or a cocoon copper lens. It's just copper lenses. You know, and that's what my eyes are used to. But that's what, for the Erie tributaries and the Ontario tributaries, um, or any trout fishing experience, I mean, the copper lenses... They define, they, they cut the glare off the water and they, they define shape and, and darkness and movement better in water. So, you know, I mean, that's, I'm well, sure that was another run on sentence. No, that that's, just did, that's quite all right. It's funny. <laughs> you, you mentioned the, the Smith optics. I've been, I've pretty much been using personally nothing but Smith optics, even before they were Smith optics, back when they were right. action optics. Um, right. Yep. And yep. I I love and I've tried others. I'm not going to yep. mention names just because I'm not going to you know throw one under the bus. But right, right, I've right. tried other glasses and there's there's a lot of good glasses out there. I've I've yet to find anything that I like as much as the, uh, the, Smith. the Smith optics and and I've got one pair that is the copper. Um, I've got another pair that's the it's the chroma pop with the but I don't think it's I don't want to say. I don't know. I'd have to go look at them. I can't remember off the top of my head if they're copper or not. But yeah, yeah. I, the the pair that I've got that is copper is actually still. It's an old. It's uh, Action Optics. So, the, right. and I had two pair of those, and I used to coach for my daughter's soccer team, and I was obviously giving uh, too good of instruction to one of the girls on on uh, penalty kicks, and she penalty kicked one right between my eyes and broke my 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 original pair of action optics and without thinking i threw them in the trash and i got back home and i was like you idiot and it was a public park i couldn't get back into it right um and 
I could have gotten them replaced, and I was sick after I thought about it when I got back home. But uh, oh yeah. So, yeah. Mike, you, pull you back in just a couple of questions. I mean, I, I have to ask if you have a. Do you have a favorite as far as what you what you prefer to fish for, or what you prefer to guide for? Between I, I, fishing wise, I I I I don't do a lot of the small streams trout fishing anymore. I mean, I fish for trophy, you know, trophy trout. I mean, that's kind of my uh, my gig at this point. I mean, the, the the you know whether it be down in the on the in the Catskills or I mean, I fish down on the Allegheny River too, down in Warren. It's a Kinzu Dam area. It's a you know a fairly uh, big piece of water so it's kind of intimidating to people but there's there's some just absolute monster trout and what saves it every year is the fact that you know it runs you know the season on it is short in that they have they have the main reservoir behind the dam and then they have a reservoir up top that warms so as summer goes it mixes mm-hmm. and as as the reservoir warms up behind the dam and then up on top of the mountain you know, it just becomes a warm water fishery at that point. So the trout become nocturnal, but it's got some huge fish in it. It's got muskie. I mean, bass, uh, those big old paddlefish. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in it, but you know, I, I, for relief, I, you know, and relaxation, I go down there because there's no, there's not really a lot of people that fish it. And, you know, it just, uh, it's just a huge river and 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 the 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 successes aren't big on it you know i mean you're you're not it's the only place that's that i find challenging you know mm-hmm. um so i mean yeah yeah i mean i'm into more like trophy fish now you know just big biggest fish you can possibly get um whereas i guess most most guys just want to go out and catch fish and you know i'm i'm kind of at that point where i've already done that i can go out you know if i have a day off or you know if i'm doing a half day i mean i can stay out after or something and you know once i get done catching one or two fish it's like all right you know time to go home you know or i'll catch with fish with clients which really pisses them off sure you know they'll 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 you know do drift 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 and then they'll be like you know fish is not going to take or he doesn't want you know blah 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 whatever it is you know whatever the response to it is really what it comes down to is patience you know they're they're just not being patient that's that's another big thing i mean you know people and clients that come in you know they if you're going to fish for these andronomous fish you got to be patient because they go on bites and you know they can hit in the morning and then shut off for two three hours during the day or you know an hour or you know not you know like this time of year we were starting to get into you know your peak warm-ups were at 2 30 in the afternoon so you get a bite out of them from 2 30 to 4 and the rest of the day you were just picking around getting whatever would you know catching whatever would take but that's you know that's winter. That's winter fishing. Now, when does your season? When will your season start back from a guiding perspective? Uh, it, uh, it probably the first week of March. Okay. Pro- probably the first week of March it'll start, and then it'll run. 
you know, like I said, till like that end of, of May for the steelhead and then they got bass and then we'll have bass coming in and then, and then you go into trout and then start it all over again in September. So between now and March, how many thousand flies will you tie? (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I'm, I'm from the commercial standpoint. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't do much anymore. I do a lot of client tying now. I got you. They hand me, you know, they'll hand me two boxes and say, fill them up. And I'm like, fill them up. And they're like, fill them up like yours look. So, you know, I mean, that's no space, extra foam, you know, double siding the leaf that they, you know, the company gives you. So, I mean, you know, they, they'll end up with several hundred flies in each box. And do and, you still uh, enjoy tying? I mean, other than the than the humpies you were talking about earlier, do you still enjoy tying? Uh, humpies. Oh God, I'm gonna go on <laughs> like a PTSD. God. Bring bring me my volume, please. Um, do I enjoy it? Yeah, I, I yeah I enjoy the creativity of it. Steelhead stuff, I enjoy the creativity of it. I got you. Um, and then if you're on the Delaware, I mean, it's a science project. You know, you're you're not so much competing. You're not really competing with bugs down there. You're competing with, you know, it's it's in an area such that it's close to, the, you know, your major East Coast hubs of, you know, Philadelphia, New York, and uh, uh, Boston. So, you know, take those three hubs and you've got millions and millions of people. So, I mean, these fish get to see a lot of different fly patterns throughout the summer. So... You know, your level of creativity, size, and dimension, um, and color has to be just about perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to catch those fish. And that's not for everybody, I mean. You know, everybody just doesn't like that kind of... You know, I've I've had guys fishing, you know, down there, you know, in the Catskills that, you know, they'll never come back. But it's because what they're used to is, you know, going on to a stream that, that... you know, has been stocked, you know, where you can go in and just catch fish no matter what. Or, you know, they may have fished like some high mountain streams and caught brook trout, you know, where you're, you're catching fish. You're more doing it for the enjoyment. You're not doing it for the, uh, you know, the, you know, as a goal to compete, you know, to see, see if you can fool them. Right. You know, so... And I've done a little bit of both. I've, I mean, I've I've definitely fished in the majority of my fishing has been in stocked waters, but I have fished in some you know that were that were wild streams. Um, personally, if I catch a big fish, great. But I'm I fall into the I just want to catch fish and yeah yeah you know the fly tying thing. And I you know I can't speak for everybody, but a lot of people that I that I do talk to that that fly that tie flies it's almost more of a a way to unwind a relaxing thing than a meditation you know whatever rather than you know just sitting there grinding out flies so i just had to ask you know from that perspective is it something you still enjoy doing or not yeah i mean i i i do i mean it's you know it's like any other job i guess at this point in time you know i i you know, I try and come out with, you know, a couple new different patterns, you know, every year, you know, and, and test them and see if, see if they work. And, 
see how consistent they are and you know if i got to add this or subtract that or you know i mean that that part of it the art of it is you know that grabs my fancy too i mean jim's an artist he's an incredible painter i mean mm-hmm. you know i you know that that's the way his brain works you know my creativity and my artistry comes out in in the fly patterns i you know i've tied all of the full dressed Atlantic salmon flies and, you know, pretty spay patterns and stuff like that. From a guide standpoint, I mean, you know, you're, you gotta have like these, the, the, you know, these groupings of meat and potato flies that you're using every day, day in and out that, that, that work, period. So you don't have to think about it. I mean, depending on the client. Depending on the client. I mean, if the client's just there to catch fish, then, you know, which, again, I mean, is the goal to it all. But, you know, if if that's really just, you know, if it's the goal of the client just to catch fish and the whole other aspect of the experience isn't of interest to them, then, you know, you got to have stuff that works constantly. You know, you, that's your focus. I mean, I have guys that come in and they catch a couple of fish and they want to, you know, sit around and have a chat on a log somewhere, you know, or go, you know, look at, you know, some of the, the fossils and, you know, all that stuff. I mean, you know, these gorges that we have are, you know, they're millions and millions of years old and, uh, you know, there's fossils everywhere. You know, there's stuff to look at all the time. We got rocks from the glaciers that are, you know, from northern Ontario and, you know, from from as far down south, wherever the glacier was. So, I mean, you know, and, and how I've learned is from clients at times. I mean, I've had geologists at times and they've come in and I mean, you know, they'll spend half the day, you know, telling me where the rocks came from. And, uh, you know, so that's cool. I mean, that's so there's there's, you know. I mean, I get all kinds of different people. And see that you know. that would that would be me. I would want to catch a few fish, and then I would want to, I would want to learn as much as I I did actually catching fish. So that's, the, you know, that's that's the the category I would fall in. You know, yeah. uh, Mike, we're we're coming up on an hour and a half. Believe it or not, we just been rolling right along here, and I I, I don't want to keep you much longer. We'll wrap this thing up. But I did want to ask I, you: Do you ever, you know, I know Jim. <laughs> does a lot of fishing between florida and and the carolinas um you know do you ever fish with him any down in the carolinas or have i have i haven't been down in the carolinas with him i've been down in the i've been down in the keys with him um i've been with him in the everglades um couple i think a couple times i've been down there and we fished you know, we fish for baby tarpon and snook and what you know, whatever other is in those canals, peacock bass. Sure. Um we were tarpon fishing. I think we went tarpon fishing together a couple times. And then whenever he comes up here, I mean I take him out steelhead fishing or trout or whatever. Well and if, then, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm, yep, I was just ahead. gonna say if you ever plan a trip to the Carolinas to fish with him, please let me know. Yeah, it's sure. not you know i know i know the general area he's at and it's not that far from me um and i'd, I'd love to get together with with both you guys and and cast a line or two and just yeah, maybe find one of those fun. logs and sit and do more of this storytelling well, i got a lot of those a lot of stories 
It's amazing. Well, it's amazing what, what, what it, you, it's amazing. It's amazing what happens in a lifetime. Maybe one of these days, Nick and I'll just get you know really crazy and change the content rating of the podcast. We can have you on to tell some of those other stories. <laughs> those those would be real. Those would maybe be try, good. But maybe try it for a week. My my mom my mommy's still alive now, so. You know, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> even at even at fifty one, mommy's still alive, <laughs> and and something uh, tells me mommy will still straighten you out if she catches you telling things you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, she 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 knows at this point. Yeah. I tell her, look, I'm gonna get there one way or the other. So you know, Nick and yeah. I have joked. We we would so Nick's one that talked me into actually starting this podcast, and he was after me for a while and. Uh, when he when he first brought this up, I'd actually and I'd still love to go back to that website at some point. But I started this website called the Krusty Lantern, and basically what it was supposed to be about was, you know, the those kind of stories, those just those really good experience stories that are almost borderline comedy or you know that kind of thing. And we've actually joked about it at some point. We may actually, because I was going to do a podcast with that. So if I ever get around to starting that up, maybe we'll we'll just we'll get you on that podcast and and we'll tell some of those stories. I got I got some real pot, <laughs> potty mouth stuff, you know. Too. I, I really, I mean, some real classic stuff, you know. S- surgeons and and uh, you know, I I, I I can't I can't. That's all it's right. a G. It's a G rating right now. Let's keep it that <laughs> yeah, let's way. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> but but I will definitely keep you in mind. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, Nick, that would I would enjoy it. Nick, you got uh, you got anything else or? No, it's been a pleasure listening to you, Mike. Yeah, I could sit here for four hours, but <laughs> we do have to kind of keep this thing wrapped up about an hour and a half. Yeah, I know. Back, so I know. Well, I tell you what, though, if we if we if we stop now, then then we'll have a good excuse to bring you back on in the future. And we'll we'll dive into some more of those stories. And maybe in the meantime, you know, we can exchange some emails as as some of those stories come to mind. We'll just kind of catalog them so we can bring them back up. And we'll 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 get you on here again. Absolutely. I would enjoy it very much. I had a great time with you guys. Well, I did as well. I do okay. as well. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. Um, Nick, as always, man, thank you for being here, keeping me in yep, line. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're very right. welcome. Nick, take care, man. Yeah, you too. Okay. All, all right. right. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening. And if you are interested in contacting Mike to book your own amazing fly fishing adventure, you can reach him by email at prairiedog67 at yahoo.com. That's P-R-A-I-R-I-E-D-O-G-G-6-7 at yahoo.com or by phone at 716-860-9926, and I'll be sure to leave both of those methods of contact in the show notes as well. And now, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the podcast, and we would love for you to leave us a rating or a review on the show while you're there. Until next time, thank you so much, everyone. Peace. Peace.